Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Psalm 13. There are six verses here. We will take a look at the text together. But let's read carefully what the psalmist David has to say. We think at this particular time he is still fleeing from Saul. Usually when David speaks of his enemies and talks about how they are after him and the difficulties of watching those who do evil be blessed and and sometimes those who do good or not, and when he is ta- untangling all of that, it's usually one or two people that's on his mind, we think. And one is Absalom, his son, who tried to overthrow the throne. And the other one is King Saul, who was trying to kill him before he was able to take the throne. We think this particular psalm is David crying out to God, during the time of Saul and his trying to kill David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day, And a fourth time, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. One of my favorite preachers of the past is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon preached in England. He was born in 1834. He lived to be 58 years old. He preached probably about 3,600 sermons. Uh, He reached, they estimate, with those sermons, about 10 million people in England. He is called, and deserves it well, the Prince of Preachers. He is truly one of the greatest that ever stood in the pulpit. But yet he tells about, as a matter of fact, I'm reading one of his books now that deals with this very subject. All of his 58 years, he struggled with what he called darkness. He said, there are times that it comes over me, and he said, I, 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 I just don't even know how to explain it. I don't know how to navigate what I am feeling, but it can happen to me. As a matter of fact, he tells a story in his book about how at one time he had preached to a 
huge crowd of people that morning. As a matter of fact, you got to realize so many people would come to hear him preach. You had to get there really early to get a seat. And he would preach, and he said, that evening I was going back, and he said, I preached more theologically that morning. Now, he was a preacher of Bible exposition, so he had expounded a text, and he said that I was looking forward to going back that evening to the same crowd and doing some measure of application with the sermon that evening. And he said, I got to the building and could not go in. He said, I was so overcome with this anxiety, this darkness, this depression that I was unable. And it wasn't the only time. There were several times in Spurgeon's life that he was ready to preach, ready to go in and speak, ready to carry out whatever he had before him, and he just collapsed and could not do it. Now, he had health issues. He had some arthritis. He had some uh, cancer, uh, a kidney, not cancer, but he had Bright's disease. I believe that's a problem with the kidneys. And he had a lot of difficulties physically, but he had a problem with depression and despair that he just never could explain. And he finally just said, it is like a darkness that just comes over me. And he said, I don't know how to explain it any other way. In the book, Encouragement for the Depressed, I want to just give you a quote from it. He says, Our work, when earnestly undertaken... It lays us open to attacks in the direction of depression. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes striking or sinking to the dust to see the hopeful turn aside? Oh, when you see somebody and you think, man, they're they're finally getting their life together and they're going to be better this time and and, and it's been a wreck so far, but they're, they're, they're going to do well this time. And boy, I can tell you, as a pastor, that will just kick the wind out of you. He says, to see them turn aside. He said, to see the godly grow cold. To watch professors abusing their privileges and sinners waxing more bold in their sin. We have that today. Are not these sights enough to crush us to the earth? How often on the Lord's day in the afternoon do we feel as if life has completely washed out of us? After pouring out our souls over our congregations, we feel like an empty earthen pitcher which a child could easily break. In another place he says this, He says, I dare say the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. He said, if some men whom I know could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, he said, it would by God's grace mellow them marvelously. He struggled. He struggled. And when I, the more I, I read about his life and 
the issues that he dealt with, I can tell you, it does speak to me personally. I've been very transparent with you over the years about my own struggles, but man, this is uh, just uh, what a way to open Psalm 13. But he's not the only one. Let's go back before him to a man named Job. In Job chapter 30, verse 16, he says, and now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. He said, the night just crushes my bones and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest whatsoever. With great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire and I become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, God, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You know, nowadays people would be offended to hear someone pray with such raw honesty to God. And to pour their heart out. Another one, Elijah. Elijah, he, he, he's a bit schizophrenic. I'm not trying to diagnose him. I've, I've not got to study him and I wouldn't know anyway. But one day he's slaying 450 prophets of Baal. He has brought an entire nation to its knees. He has told the king of that nation, it'll rain, but not until I say so. He goes from that demeanor to running into the wilderness and hiding from everybody, scared to death, it says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. I could give you many more. I'll give you one more. Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he cried so much during his preaching. He was preaching during the time that Israel, or that the Jerusalem was taken captive by the Babylonians and as he watched the city being destroyed he was constantly in distress because he knew that it didn't have to be that way he knew that God's people if they would repent and get right with God all of that could change but they wouldn't do it and finally he wrote a separate book outside of his prophecy we call Jeremiah He wrote a whole book filled with laments or lamentations. Man, you know you're having a positive day when you write a whole book with nothing in it but lamenting and weeping and crying. His heart is broken. Well, that's where we find David. And I've entitled the message today, When the Darkness Comes. And the reason for that's in part because of Spurgeon's description of it. But also when I think about darkness, when we have these moments in our life, and you may not have any trouble at all with depression, but I'll bet you some of you have walked through some difficulties in your life that you thought would kill you. There's some of you here I know that you lost children. I, I, I I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. I cannot, I couldn't come to you in a million years and say, I know how you feel, and I hope that I'm never, ever able to say that. As a matter of fact, today, of all days, had no idea 
this morning I got up early and opened up Facebook to see who all was bragging on me. A gentleman from Anderson, South Carolina had a picture of a young man named Patrick that I've told you about. Had no idea. But today was the day, January 28th, that in 1986, he ended his life at 16 years of age. The last time I preached down in South Carolina, I preached at my home church. And his mother, who's the pianist, his dad, who is still a deacon there, man, his mother stood up and sang about the goodness of God. And how your hand has never failed me. Man, I cried so hard because I remember, I, I know, I remember sitting on the couch beside her when all of this was going on. And, and I will spare you any description, but I sat beside her that day because I was in town. My dad was sick in the hospital and he was only a few, way, a few days uh, or a few months away from passing on himself. And and I happened to be in town. They lived very close to us. And I ran over there. And I hugged Deborah. I told her, I said, I have no idea what to say to you. All I can tell you is I love you and God loves you. All I need to say. So I call it darkness because it is in darkness sometimes that we lose perspective. We become myopic. We, we're short-sighted. We can only see things that are really close to us. And some objects appear totally different in the dark than, than they do in the light. And so that's where we get sometimes. When we are in the, these times of despair and brokenness, sometimes things just don't seem right. They, they don't look the same to us anymore. So I want to share with you a message from David today entitled, When the Darkness Comes. And we're going to keep it really simple. Two points. He's going to first of all tell us what we should not do. And then secondly, he will end with what we should do. What we should not do, first of all, is make presumptions. In verse 1 he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Is this never going to change? Have you just turned your back on me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Boy, that is raw honesty. That is coming before the throne of grace with with some boldness. And and man, I'm just telling you, it might even seem irreverent. But boy, it seems that in the Word of God that God just had a special honor and place and, 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 and response for those who came to Him and cried out and were honest and just poured out their heart and all the plastic is gone and all the things we say when we first open our prayer, the things we don't even think about. When you get to the point that you are just praying and you're praying ridiculous things and, and you, you start out by making presumptions. God, are you going to forget me forever? Is this never going to change? God, have you totally turned your back on me? Is that where we are now, God? Am I to assume that I won't be hearing from you anymore? Forgetting and hiding the face was a way of saying that 
God's not going to do anything. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, to say that God sees means that God is about to do something. If you remember when Abraham was told to hold the knife, stay your hand, don't kill your son, because God has provided a ram. He says, I have to name this place Yahweh Yahri, or we say Jehovah Jireh, which is God or the Lord will provide. Yahweh sees, think about that. It's provision, provideo. God sees beforehand. And so for God to see in the Hebrew meant that God was going to act. He's going to do something about it. He has already seen the way clear. He already knows how it's going to work out. He already knows how He's going to rescue and heal and answer those prayers. Sometimes we can be very presumptuous and we can say ignorant, foolish things. God, you've left me and you've left me forever. And let me just say this, maybe I, I, I understand. I hear people give testimony sometimes about, oh Lord, I'd never think anything like that. What makes you think you would be above David? Maybe you have not thought about it yet, but if you live long enough, you just might. You just might. Don't make presumptions. Secondly, don't depend on your own counsel. Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel? Uh, Isat is the word in the Hebrew, and uh, it means advice. How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day long? Let me tell you, I am the worst counselor in the world. I, I've, got, I've won it six years in a row. I'm even worse when I'm talking to me. You and I can give ourselves some of the dumbest advice in all the world. He says, I'm taking counsel in my soul. I, I do my best talking when there's nobody in there but me and Roscoe. And I got to tell you, I'm so embarrassed sometimes when I pull up to a red light and I'm just talking or maybe I'm just going through the sermon. I'm going to preach Sunday or, or whatever or... or, or I just am rattling on and I realize I'm at a red light and there's somebody over here beside me. I've done it. It's a hypocritical thing. It's, a, it, it's deceptive, but I have put my hand up to my ear like I had a Bluetooth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, it's Bluetooth. Yeah. Because you look like an idiot. Well, if you think I look like an idiot, you ought to hear how I sound like an idiot. Sometimes we can give ourselves some of the worst advice. God, how in the world could you let life handle me with such heavy hands? How in the world, God, could you do something like this? Job, when he started advising himself, he says, Why do you hide your face from me? Why do you consider me your enemy, God? When did we have our falling out? Why are you treating me like I'm your enemy? This, this is what happens when we start giving ourselves advice. And I'll tell you why we give terrible advice. And, and, and David lists them right here in the passage. One, we see the temporary as eternal. He says, how long are you going to forget me, God? Forever. We see things that are going to pass. Last Sunday morning, I had to tell myself, this will pass. But you have to sometimes tell yourself, convince yourself that this will not last forever. 
It will change. And, and it doesn't mean that when you go through horrible, horrible pain or losing a loved one or especially a child or something like that, it doesn't mean that it's never going to get easier. But I can tell you, when we are in those moments of despair or depression or whatever it is and we start talking to ourselves, we say really foolish things sometimes because we see what is temporary, what will maybe not even be here tomorrow. As a matter of fact, they tell us that about nine out of ten things that we worry about never, ever take place. But we see the temporary is eternal. We see imaginations as truth. You have forgotten me, God. God had not forgotten David. There was no way in the world God would ever forget David, and he's never going to forget us. But our imagination gets to going, and the next thing you know, we, we are seeing it as truth. And then we see God as we see ourselves. Have you forsaken me, God? Why have you forsaken me? Because we know how we are. We know we can be selfish and walk off from a friend who is in need. We can avoid someone that we know they're just going to ask for, to borrow money again. Or, or, or we can leave somebody on the wayside because we just don't have time to mess with them. And so we presume that God must be like that as well. And if we can forsake people and forget people and neglect people, then maybe God is like us. That's why we give really foolish advice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs 3, 5. And do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. I love another verse in 1 John chapter 3. It says, when our heart condemns us. When our heart condemns us. He says, remember that God is greater than her heart. Boy, I have to lean on that one sometimes. I'm quick to condemn, especially myself. Make presumptions, depend on her own counsel, lose perspective. Verse 2, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? You're exalting my enemy over me. My enemy who is doing wrong is being blessed and I'm the one doing right and I'm being persecuted, God. This whole thing is out of whack to me. I have totally lost perspective. This is when your problems seem huge and God seems small because we lose perspective. We forget who we serve. We forget how much He cares about us. I'm just telling you, I know how that is. I know how that is. We feel like we're being punished. We feel like we are being uh, oppressed. And we look at others and we go, God, are, are you a God of righteousness or not? We totally lose perspective. I think about in Revelation chapter 6, the saints. says they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are saints that some of them were fed to lions. They were beat and battered and tortured, brutalized, while their enemies lived in opulence and empires and great wealth and pleasure every day 
day while the wild beast tore them to bits as entertainment for them. How long, God, will you refrain from punishing them? Make presumptions, depend on our own counsel, don't lose perspective, don't fall into despair. Usually it's too late. We already have, but we need to try not because in verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. Enlighten my eyes, God. Help me to see some things that right now I just cannot see. It's so dark. I know, God, that you got a plan, but I can't see it. I know there's a way out, but I can't see it, God. I know you're going to use this to bring honor and glory to you, but but. Right now, honestly, God, I'd be lying. I'd be making it up. I'd be uh, one of those hypocritical Christians to sit here and act like I just believe all of that and know all of that. And, and we all raise my hands and worship on Sunday. Right now, God, I feel like you have absolutely left me in the dark. And I don't understand it. Enlighten my eyes. Help me to see God. What I can't see. Then in verse 4, don't worry about what others are saying. Verse 4, my enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. In this day, they had what they called Deuteronomic theology. It carries right on over into the New Testament. Deuteronomic theology comes from the idea where Moses preached, and that's what Deuteronomy is. It's the longest sermon in all the Bible. It's one whole sermon from start to finish. And he preaches to the people, and he says to them that will go into the promised land, he's not even going to get to go. But he says, when you do go, if you do what is right, good things will happen And that's good advice. Do what God says do and things will work out. You do what God says not to do and things won't. And he constantly tells them, choose life. Choose life. Quit making dumb decisions that always lead to destruction and ruin everything for you. He says, choose life. So what happened was people got to thinking, That, well, if you do good, your life will go well. And then when you don't do well, your life goes poorly. And so in John chapter 9, when Jesus comes across a blind man, his disciples asked Jesus, well, because this man was born blind, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Now, he was born blind. And you might go, well, that must be a misprint. No, the Jews believe that if God knew you were going to do something, He'd go ahead and punish you at your birth. And if it wasn't that that brought it on, it was probably his mom and dad. I am almost certain that if Jesus did not say it out loud, he had to have thought, what a bunch of idiots. Instead of worrying about helping the man, sitting around trying to figure out how he got there, Sometimes it's so easy to worry about what other people are going to have to say, even when they say stupid things. They say dumb things. But I can tell you, for me, honestly, I've never had the self-confidence to really just ignore what people say. I see people sometimes 
that somebody will say something really mean about them or, or level a criticism at them that just, boy, I just can't believe somebody would say something like that. And I'll watch the person just blow it up. Who cares what they think? They got their own issues. I want to go up to them and say, would you sign my Bible? I want to be like you when I grow up. Because if it had said that about me, I'd have spent three days at home going over and over. Every critical word they spoke. Was it true? Do I have a blind spot in my life that I've not seen? And it doesn't matter how ridiculous the person is. You'd think I could see through that. You'd think when you look at me and go, Mike, he was wearing a straight jacket, dude. I know, but he's had a lot of time to think in here. Hanging upside down, you can really gather your thoughts. The next thing you know, I'm word sick. I hope you're better at not worrying about what people say than I am. I'd love to get there. Then secondly and last of all, that's what we must not do. What we must do is this. First of all, rely on his grace or mercy. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. I notice sometimes when my computer updates, my spell checker doesn't quite understand loving kindness. Sometimes it's spelled as one word. Sometimes it's spelled as two. I have to tell you, sometimes I don't quite understand that word either. Make my day, folks. In the Hebrew, loving kindness is what? Hesed. Hesed. It is such a powerful love, so undeserved. It is such a measure of grace that many Old Testament scholars, mine in grad school, told us, he says, do not translate that word. It is untranslatable. You can call it loving kindness. But he said that falls far short. So we just called it Hesed. Hesed, your loving kindness, grace that I don't deserve. Sometimes you just have to rely on that. And it, 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 it's not easy to do. I'm not telling you, oh, here's the magic formula. My goodness. Uh, we, I, I, I know that I'm, I'm really giving you a look inside me today. I am a skeptic. Uh, Prevagen. It comes from a jellyfish. I'm just saying. How many times have you seen anybody with jellyfish in the circus doing tricks? Oh, now you may be sitting there going, well, now I wish you hadn't said that. I've been taking it, and I'm thinking more clearly than ever, and I, what, I, good, I'm glad. I wish I wasn't so skeptical. I, the, all, how to, in these little bitty pills, you can get 10 bushels of fruit and vegetables in one of them. That thing must go off inside of you like a bomb. Woo. All I'm saying is, it's easy to say these things. 
it's easy to say, I'm just going to rely on his mercy. But sometimes God has to walk with you through that. Sometimes he has to help you understand that. And, and by the way, let's remember this. Mercy or grace, it's not like pity. I may deserve pity. I may deserve pity. I will never deserve grace. Ever will I ever deserve grace. If grace and mercy is something that you will never, ever deserve, your life's never going to be bad enough that you deserve. That's what makes it so wonderful. It is that thing that, boy, you cannot earn it no way in the world. And I, and I love this about this. There's two concepts that are irreducibly complex. One is truth. Uh, truth is one of those things that, that you, you can't water it down. You can't make it yours. You, you can't, uh, uh, it, it was kind of crazy the other week. I was looking at pulpits. We, we may upgrade the old table here one day. I don't know thinking about it, but I was looking at some and almost every one of them, I noticed these companies online, almost every one of them had a female preacher behind the pulpit. And, and, and I'm not even going there right now, but under some of them, it says stand behind this acrylic, whatever, whatever it is. And they named off all kind of things and speak your truth. I thought, man, you don't need a pulpit to speak your truth. Just go on Facebook. Stay out of the pulpit. It's not ever your truth. And when it comes to grace, it's irreducibly complex. If you can earn it, it wasn't grace. Matter of fact, I like this in 1 John, 14, or John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. We saw both in Him. Well, secondly, not only rely on His mercy, rely also or rejoice in his salvation. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a, that's a great comfort once you can grasp it. Because here's the thing. If you lose everything in the world and still have your salvation, you have what matters. We have what matters. The only thing in this life that is really worth having is our relationship with God, our salvation. As a matter of fact, think about this. The only thing you are guaranteed that you will have this time tomorrow, if you are a born-again Christian, is your relationship with God. You could lose your whole family, you could lose your house, you could lose every dime you own. But one thing you will never lose if you have that relationship with Him, you will never lose the salvation of the Lord. Never. It's more important than anything. Matter of fact, I love it in Luke 10 when the 70 returned and says that they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. I, I can just see him now about the first time at work. Whoa. You see that demon? I ran him all the way out of town. I told him, don't you come back. Get you some of that. They said, wow, the demons. They were running everywhere. And he said, well, I said to them, I was watching. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions 
If I see the serpents in time, I won't need that. I'm not planning on treading on him. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Isn't that awesome? But then in verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. The whiz-bang is one thing. But the fact that if you take your last breath today or 50 years from now, if you know where you're going to be, man, that's worth more than demon chasing. Woody Allen was a lot of things, one of them an atheist. I don't know if he's even still alive, but Somebody asked him one time, though, because he was always such a smart aleck. He says, if there was a God, what would you want to hear him say? I'm guessing he surprised him with his answer. He said, I'd love to hear him tell me I'm forgiven. Man, who would have thought? Who would have thought he ever even considered anything like that? This man had lots of issues going on. Forgiven. Man, that is so awesome. Our salvation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Why don't they write a song? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I don't trust anything but that. Men, on Wednesday nights, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about that gospel plus, salvation plus, grace plus, how we can't add to it one bit in the world. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Rely on His mercy. Rejoice in His salvation. Reveal His joy. Sing to the Lord. He said, I will, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord Sing to the Lord. Man, that is such a theme, especially in the Psalms. And I understand that because of their nature. But sing to the Lord. I I know sometimes uh, people will say, Ah, you don't want to hear me sing. We may not. That's a distinct possibility. But God does. He wants to hear you sing. I, I I'm sure God's had one all along, but I am told by some of my more technical friends like Pastor Deese (laughs) that they have machines that you can sing in, and if you're off pitch, it'll put you back on pitch. Now, I know some people that I believe could burn the gears out of that thing in about two verses. You'd have to plug it in the 220 to get all that cleaned up. We may not want to hear you sing. But God's got one of those machines. He can straighten all that out, I reckon. Actually, he's listening more to your heart than your voice. Sing to him. He said, make a joyful noise. Man, noise is pretty broad. Just got to be joyful. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Remember His blessing last of all because He has dealt 
bountifully with me. Did you see how it all seemed to change for David in the last two verses? Now, the circumstances hasn't changed. Saul's still trying to kill him. Saul's still king, and he doesn't deserve it. He's trying his best to wipe David off the face of the earth. And David has caught him several times asleep and could have killed him. Left a little something behind to let him know I was here. You're still alive. That's grace. But man, he said God has dealt bountifully with me. Even though his circumstances had not changed, he also knew his God hadn't changed either. Sometimes the darkness comes. Some of you remember it. You've been through it before. Some of us struggle with it every day of our life. Really. I, 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 don't, I don't mean at the level of losing a child or something like that. I'm talking about depression and anxiety. I have social anxiety like you would never believe. Have you noticed how often you invite me to things and I don't go? Man alive. I went to Rich Cotterella's birthday party. It took me two days under a Xanax drip just to be able to get in the door that night. No, it wasn't that bad. I don't do well with things like that. I have so... So much anxiety, but it, and it comes and it goes. And I've asked God, please take it away. Please change it, Lord. Just, just let me not worry about it. And sometimes that, that depression or darkness will come over me and I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. My brother, he is the opposite of me. When I'm out and about, I, I don't like to talk to people. He knows every human in South Carolina. And we'll go together somewhere in the grocery store. Hey, hey, Mike, here's our second cousin. Come here, come here. I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm thinking, what if I just fake a heart attack? I wonder if he'd just let me sit here. And they're like, well, I'm, I wouldn't even have recognized you, Mike. Thought, well, you ain't seen me in 40 years, so. I know you wouldn't have recognized me, but my brother, he reunited us. Hallelujah. We can be friends on Facebook now. Sometimes it's tough. Let me just tell you this. My hope is built on nothing less. And this is what gets me through than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil his oath is covered not his blood 
Support me in the whelming flood When all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay And when He shall come with trumpet sound Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We've got the machine going. Sing with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.